The scripture this morning is Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Of God's Word. There we go. Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and go to um, Psalm 92. So Wayne just read uh, 93 for us, uh, and we're going to look at 92 primarily today. So it's page 498 if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats. Psalm 92. Now, if you notice, when you look at the first part of this, um, Psalm 92, right before verse 1 in our English Bibles, uh, we have a little heading in this one. Not all the Psalms have it. Uh, these are original. We talked about that when we introduced this sermon series. That these are original, and so this helps us understand a little bit about this Psalm here. And so it says, a Psalm, a song for the Sabbath. So this Psalm is uh, designed for Sabbath. For the Sabbath. Uh, the title tells us that, and it's, it's intended to be sung on the Sabbath. And scholarship regarding the book of Psalms also believes that the, the subsequent five Psalms after this were a collection that, that kind of were all together about these uh, in total six Psalms that were intended to be used for uh, Sabbath worship. Um, and so part of the reason why scholarship would say that is there's an absence of titles in the next five. Uh, there's other reasons why themes and things like that. But it, it, there's this idea and this, uh, this, this understanding we know for certain in this psalm that we're in is that it was intended to be sung on the Sabbath. Now, the concept of Sabbath then brings up a few questions for us, right? Okay. So uh, three questions came to my mind. Number one is, okay, what is Sabbath? What do you mean by that? Okay, number one. Number two, uh, do we still observe the Sabbath? And number three, if so, then what does that look like? Okay, so the, the majority of the message is going to be answering question number three. But very quickly, let me just answer these first two questions by way of introduction, and then we'll spend the majority of our time on that third question there. So the first question is, what is Sabbath? Well, that comes from a Hebrew word, which means to cease. Okay, started back in the creation week. God created the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested, or he ceased from the work. He stopped working. And so that was the pattern that was started uh, for this idea of one in seven days of rest, one in seven days of ceasing from work, okay? Uh, we're going to see this later on in the, in the Ten Commandments, when the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 come onto the scene. There's the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, okay? And so uh, this was a very common theme throughout the, the Old Testament and even into the New Testament of one in seven days. The seventh day, which would be our Saturday, was the Jewish Sabbath day. 
rest. And then you go to Israel today and, and people still in, in, in places of Judaism uh, where it's observed, uh, is observed, okay? Um, I, I, real quickly, but I'll tell you this story real fast. We, we were in Israel several years ago and um, maybe I've shared this, I can't remember, but th- they have a lot of laws about what you can do and what you can't do on the Sabbath. And, and if you get through, there's the Pharisees had a whole bunch of laws that uh, weren't intended to be there, but it was just, they were saying, okay, what does this mean then that to rest and not do work on the Sabbath day? And they, one of the laws was that it came up was you can't light a fire on the Sabbath day. And so translated to today's world, that meant you can't really initiate any electrical things. And so in the hotel I was staying in on the Sabbath, it was, uh, uh, they would turn before Sabbath started, they would turn the TV on to whatever station they wanted, and it would just be on for the next 24 hours. Can't go, the volume can't go up, can't go down, because any type of pressing of the button would start an electrical current, which would be lighting a fire, which would be a violation of the Sabbath law. And so you say, well, how did they work the elevator then? Well, they had two elevators. They had uh, a normal elevator for people who that, you know, that wasn't an issue, but then they had one that was programmed for on the Sabbath day. It would just continually operate and go up and down and stop at every floor. Maybe I shared this with you before. I knew about this, but a friend of mine who was on the trip did not know about this. And so I said, I'll race you to the bottom. <laughs> you take that elevator, I'll take this one. So I get in there, and I go down, straight down. I gave him the Sabbath elevator, and I'm waiting down there for him. He's like, it stopped at every floor. I was pushing buttons, and it just kept stopping and opening, stopping and opening. Okay, but this was part of the laws, right? Okay, so no work, rest on the Sabbath day, okay? So this is what it kind of evolved into, okay, all these different laws. Okay, so number one, what is Sabbath? Number two, well, do we still observe Sabbath, okay? Where you say, well, (laughs) this is not Saturday. This is Sunday. We're meeting together on Sunday. Do we observe Sabbath? And again, you know, I, I guess I would say yes and no, okay? This is outside the scope of this sermon to talk about uh, Sabbatarian understanding of the New Testament uh, Lord's Day. But what I would do is I can point you in the right uh, direction if you want to study this, since I've got some really good resources on that. But here's what I would say is that the cultural context is so much different. And more than that, Jesus has fulfilled all things. He fulfilled the law. So having said that, though, the principles of Sabbath rest still remain, and ever since the days of the apostle, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, which was the day that Jesus rose from the dead, that's the reason why I moved to to Sunday, uh, that became a day of appointed for a Sabbath-type rest, okay? So one in seven, the principle still remains. It's not the same because Jesus fulfilled... Uh, all the law, but in remembrance of Jesus, okay, and in keeping the principle of one in seven day rest, uh, we have a Sabbath type of rest on Sundays, okay? And again, I can give you some really good resources on this if you want to dive into this a little bit more. And not everyone's agreed on it. Not everyone's agreed on it because this has ramifications. When I went to college, uh, some friends of mine, they had made it a point that uh, Sabbath rest for them meant they were not going to do any homework at all. On, on Sundays, they weren't going to do anything. And you know what? I, I, I appreciated that, okay? That wasn't something that I did, but that I could see where they were coming from on that. So in some ways, I can see a lot of benefits to it uh, in some ways. But um, uh, so do we still observe Sabbath? Yes, but no, it's a little bit different, okay? So that brings us to that third question that, okay, so then what does it look like, Okay. This is where Psalm 92 is actually very, very helpful to us, okay? It's a long introduction to get there, but here's what it looks like. 
then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you one sentence that I want you to, 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 to lock in on. Then we're going to unpack it uh, as we go throughout the rest of the sermon. Here's the sentence. That Sabbath is for worship and rest. Sabbath is for worship and rest. We could say the Lord's Day is for worship and rest. Let me read the text. We'll pray, and then we'll, we'll, we'll begin. Psalm 92, 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know and the fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass and all all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox, and you have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age, and they are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. I'm going to share three imperatives this morning as we walk through this text, but let me pray and ask God's blessing. Father, we've read the text. This is your word. I didn't write it. No one here wrote it. This is a word that you gave many, many years ago, and for, for thousands of years, your people have sung this, have meditated on this, and today, it's our turn. And so I pray your spirit would guide us, and I pray that we would see the riches that are they're inside this text here, and that as I teach, God, I pray that I would only teach what's here, that, and that you would guide me in that, and that it would be relevant, and it would be helpful but it would be accurate to this text of Scripture. So thank you. Thank you that we can do this, and we're just pausing now to ask you for your blessing and for your enablement because you are God, and we are your servants. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. I told you there's three imperatives I'm going to walk us through today. First imperative is this. You must worship God. Okay? All right? There's a shocker. Okay? You say, oh, man, that's good. All right. Okay. Didn't think of that before. Okay? Well, let's unpack this a little bit here. You must worship God. Why? Have you ever thought about that? We talked a little bit about this in Adult Discipleship Hour. Hint, hint, people who are there. All right, okay. I told them they had to give me big smiles when I started talking about this again. It was like this, that they knew this, you know, that they had this, like, knowledge here. But anyway, okay, so why is this so important? And think about it this way. If we're, we're, we're called, maybe you've thought of this, and I probably many of you didn't dare ask this question out loud, but maybe you've thought of this question. Is it not pretty egotistical of God to demand such worship all the time? What kind of God is that? It says, you must bow down to me. You must worship me. Is that a God who's just kind of full of himself? I mean, what is this? Okay, 
These are questions that we're going to unpack here. So if I'm saying you must worship God, why is that so important? And is it just not God just kind of flexing his muscles on us and, 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 and wanting us to, to, to worship him all the time? Well, no, because it's not, God is not an egotistical God in that sense. And the reason why we must worship God is because it is good. Did you see that in verse 1? It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to do this. This is what the, the psalmist is saying here. Most people, most scholars would say David probably wrote this. The name's not given there, but it's often ascribed to David. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. During the sermon, if I say David, uh, just understand that we're not 100% certain, but I'm probably just leaning that way, okay? So if David did write this, he's saying here, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. He's saying this is positive. Now, C.S. Lewis is an author that several of you may be recognized. Uh, he wrote Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote Space Trilogy. He wrote uh, a lot of books that have been used uh, and been very helpful. One book has been very uh, impactful to a lot of people. It's called Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to do that. Um, but here he is. He was someone who did not start out in a Christian background. He was not someone who uh, grew up in the church, so to speak. And in fact, it was uh, he was pretty hostile against Christianity. And he he was converted, and he was a very intelligent man, and he wrestled with some of this stuff. He wrestled with this concept of, of how, why is it good for us to worship God, right? And so he illustrated this by uh, bringing up this concept of a beautiful painting. And so he says, you know, when we see a, a tremendous piece of art, this beautiful piece of art, and he gave an illustration of one, he says, we admire it. Because admiration, or admiration is the only appropriate response to it, right? The person who does not pause to admire it is only illustrating their ignorance. Now, I'm not an art aficionado here, okay? I enjoy art and things like that and everything. But that's not something like, you know, if you're saying, hey, what do you want to do on the weekend? I'm like, let's go look at some art, okay? That's, that's, that's just not how I'm wired. But I'll tell you what, what captures my attention are like nature and beautiful things like this. And so, you know, what C.S. Lewis is saying, it'd be kind of like, you know, a couple years ago, we went to the Grand Canyon. I don't know if you can see the, the colors and hues and things on screen here, but it is just absolutely stunning. Now, let me tell you this here. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is he's saying that this would be like for a person who goes by the art painting and is, is doesn't admire it, it just shows their ignorance. It would be like walking up to the Grand Canyon here, looking over it, and you're feeling the wind, and you're seeing the vastness of Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. And you're looking over and you're seeing there. And it would be like you walking up to him going, meh, and walk away. I mean, people look at you like, are you kidding me? And you're like, what are you talking about? It's a hole in the ground. It's a hole in the ground. Do you not see the beauty of this? Think, well, you know, I guess, you know. People are going to look at you, and, and it's not about the issue. The, the, the problem in that scenario is not the Grand Canyon. It's that you're not seeing it, and you're not responding appropriately to it. You see, it's good to give thanks to the Lord. It is good to worship God. But what about a God who demands that we worship him? What about that? Does that seem a little like out of bounds? Or does it seem, seem off a little bit? Is this like a woman that just demands people to praise her for her beauty all the time? Yeah, we know you're beautiful. Yeah, is, is that what this is like? Lewis talks about this as well. And it responded to that notion when he says, and he wrote this, says that even if a God like that did exist, 
even if God was like that, who was just saying, please, tell me how great I am all the time because I just need the vanity of it. Even if he did like that, he wouldn't come to humans for admiration. As Lewis said, he says, I don't want my dog to bark approval of my books. Okay? He says, why would he go to humans? He's got angels. Why would he go to humans? He's got everything else. He's got the cosmos. Why would he go to humans? who are constantly messing up. Why would you go to them for admiration? You see, it's not just about God. It's not about God. It's good for you to worship God. It's good. That's what the text tells us. And the reason why it's good is because it's the only way that we can fulfill our design. It's the only way we can fulfill how we're designed. You, my friend, I talked about this in Adult Discipleship Hour, you will worship God something. We're designed to worship. If you don't worship God, you'll worship your career, you'll worship your family, you'll worship your income, you'll worship your talents, your beauty, you will worship something. It's good to worship God because that fulfills what we're designed for. Remember the Westminster Confession or Catechism, the first one, remember this question? What is the chief end of man? And remember the answer to it? What's the answer to this? And remember, yeah, go for it. Okay, to glorify God and, and enjoy Him pretty good. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This Westminster Confession is an ancient document, or not ancient, but an older document that, that helps us understand some of these things, the concepts of the systematic theology throughout the scriptures. Here, and it, it tells us this is really good of that, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to join for this is our design. Have you ever used something, have you ever had a project and, and you needed to work through something and, and you didn't have the right tool for it, so you kind of like were using something else in its place? You ever been there? All right. Not a very enjoyable experience, right? You know, you need a tool, and it seems like every time I, like, get the curtain, okay, I'm going to fix my own car or something like that, inevitably, there's a tool I don't have. Rob knows exactly what I'm talking about here, okay? There's always some obscure tool that you don't have, but it makes the job a whole lot easier. Now, you can kind of finagle something, but it doesn't, it's not a very enjoyable experience. I remember several years ago when... We, it was shortly after we got married. My wife, I, I didn't know this about my wife, but she made the most amazing apple crisp. Come fall, I mean, it's amazing. It, 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 it's, it's amazing, okay? It's really good, okay? And she made this. I remember it was like, for, you know, it was like we, we were first married. I mean, this is in Rhode Island. I remember this, and you made this. And like, I took a bite of this, and it was like, the angels, oh, this is amazing. How, how do you do this, right? And so she shows me how she cuts up everything and everything. I'm like, that's a lot of work, you know. Then I discovered there's a tool. This thing, you clamp it. Some of you know what I'm talking about here. You clamp it to it, and it will peel an apple. It will core an apple. It will slice an apple. All at the same time. It'll probably even balance your checkbook, too. I didn't, I didn't read the manual. But the point is, is that this thing, I mean, we went from like, oh, this is a lot of work of chopping all these apples and everything like this. And it's like, hey, let me do the apple thing here. I'd shove the thing in there. and I'm, like, I'm enjoying this, you know, because it was fun to do. Because I was using the tool that was designed for it. The same thing is true with us. 
when we operate according to our design, we actually enjoy it. That's why it's good. That's why he says here, it is good to give thanks to God. Because the reality is, is that we cannot enjoy God unless we worship God. You will not enjoy God unless you're worshiping him. You will not enjoy him. He will be mean. He will be distant. He will be capricious. He will be uh, arrogant to you. But when you worship God and see him for who he is, then you see, wait a minute here. This is a God worthy of worship. He is good and you enjoy him. Commentator John Phillips, I'm spending more time on this first question, uh, this first imperative, so don't worry about it. I've got it planned out. But commentator John Phillips, he wrote this. He said this, to praise God, I put it on the screen for you, to praise God is the intelligent, emotional, volitional thing for a creation to do when brought into the presence of one so glorious, so holy, so loving, so worthy of wonder. And worship as God. Not to praise him proves us lacking in something. To praise him spontaneously, delightedly, is proof that we are alive to all that he is. It is good to praise God. It's good for you to do this. It's good for you to worship. So we, we, we worship God. We must remember the first imperative here is that we must worship God. And we said this because it is good that we do that, but also because God is amazing. He's amazing. Look at verse 2 through 5. To declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. He says, uh, um, to the music of the lute and the harp and to the melody of the lyre, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, at the works of your hands, I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord, and your thoughts very deep. My friend, God is amazing. God has the one who spoke the world into existence. God is the one who, when he delivered the people out of Egypt, he used so many things to bring them, his people who were held captive, out into freedom. And then when they rebelled against him, he graciously and patiently provided for them in the wilderness. Do you realize that these people had shoes that did not wear out? They had clothes that did not wear out. He provided for them with food and with water. There were times when the, there was no clean water around them for them to drink at all. It was all bitter. It, was, it, was, it would have been made them sick. And God purified the water in a miraculous way for them to drink. This is a God who he sits enthroned on high. And the earth, the Bible says, is his footstool. This is a God who has the galaxies in his hand. This is a God who breathes and then all things consist. This is a God who, who upholds everything by the word of his power, Hebrews chapter 1. This is a God who loves you so much that he patiently provides for you. And then when you sin against him, he says, I'm here for forgiveness. Repent and everything is all right. This is a God who said, I'm going to send my son to die on the cross, to live a life. He's going to come down. He's going to get involved. He's going to become one of you. He's going to go through all the weaknesses and all the sickness. He's going to experience all that because you experience that, and he's going to be in your place. And then if you believe in him, then you can have eternal life. This is a God who is willing to do everything for you. My friend, God's amazing. He's amazing. You must worship him. I must worship him. There's no other choice. There's no other choice. But we get distracted. But let me give you some two practical quick ideas from this text that excuse me, that uh, uh, everyone we can and really should do. Look at the text again, okay? If we we kind of get over this sometimes and we just look at the, the flowery language sometimes, but this is really helpful to us. 
Verse 2, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Let me encourage you, declare God's steadfast love and his mercy in the morning. This is a practical step. When you get up, make it a priority. Put it on your first to-do list. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Do whatever it takes. But to this, to say, okay, I'm going I'm to declare God's steadfast love. His mercy is another way that we can understand that in the morning. Now, why do you do in the morning? Well, think about this. He has just shown love and care throughout the night. There is no other time, really, in the day, most of the days, when you are uh, more vulnerable than when you sleep. You are completely vulnerable when you sleep. And God cared for you. He took care of you all night. He sustained you. He kept you breathing. He held off threats. And he graciously woke you for a new day. That's his love. You didn't do that. You weren't thinking, breathe, breathe. You weren't thinking anything else. God was sustaining you. So when you wake up in the morning, that's a good time to declare his love for you and worship him for it. And he, he did this. He sustained you all while giving you rest. Did you know that the sleep that you had last night, it activated your brain's garbage disposal system and it cleaned out the toxins and waste products that were gathering throughout the day. This is how God designed it. He says, I'll take care of you. I will sustain you. I will keep you. And I will get you some rest. That's a reason to declare his love in the morning. But then it says in his faithfulness at night. So to praise God for his faithfulness at night. So when you go to bed tonight, you're laying in bed, and you're thinking through the day, this is a great time for you to think about his faithfulness. You'll let your mind go to all the ways that God showed you faithfulness today. You had a church to go to. You had meals to eat. You had transportation to use. You had friends and families to love and to be loved by. You had financial blessing. And you said, well, you don't know my finances, Jeremy. Let me tell you, compared to the rest of the world, you're doing great, okay? And his word endured for another day, bringing you one day closer to eternity. That's the thing to say, God, you've been faithful. You've been faithful. So when you go to bed tonight and your, your mind's starting to go through the day, shift it towards his faithfulness. This is a very practical thing that, that the psalmist is telling us to do here. So you must worship God. First imperative. Spend most of our time on that. We're going to pick up the pace and go through the second two imperatives. Second imperative. You need worship's benefits. You need worship's benefits. I guess more of a statement, not an imperative. But here it is. The first one is strength and refreshment. Did you notice this in verse 10? It says, you have exalted my horn, that of like a wild ox, and have poured over me fresh oil. You're like, what is that about? Some of you may have a translation that even says unicorn in there. Anyone have that? Anyone have that? Okay. They, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you say, ah, the Bible proves that unicorns exist. If you want to believe that, go for it, but that's not really what's happening here, okay? It was an animal that we don't really know about, and it was this animal that has a strong horn. And so the translators back then said, okay, we'll say one an animal with one horn, unicorn, one strong horn, okay? So, yeah, you can go from there with that, okay? If you want to believe in unicorns, then, hey, there it is. Here's your proof text, okay? But, um, but he exalted my horn out of a wild ox, okay? It's really talking about an animal that just has some strong 
horns. And the reason why is because the horn is a symbol all throughout the Old Testament of strength, right? And refreshment, okay? So worship is intended to strengthen us, okay, as we see here through the imagery there. But then he talks about this idea of fresh oil. In, in, the, in the ancient Near East, uh, oil was used to refresh skin that was going through the hot uh, desert climate all the time. They would put oil on their skin, and it would be a refreshment, right? And so this is what's going on here. You have poured over me fresh oil in terms of refreshment. You see, the reason why you need worship, and again, let me just say this, that commentators are agreed here on this, that this is not talking about just individual worship here. This is talking about gathered worship throughout the, the plural pronouns and just everything you hear is that this is talking about when we come together, a psalm for the Sabbath, when they would come together and worship. He says, this is what brings strength. This is what brings refreshment. This is why it's important to be part of a church. This is why it's important to be regularly involved in coming to these gatherings is because it is for our strength and for our refreshment. I like what Kevin DeYoung says in, in one of his books. He said this. He says, if you were physically sick and didn't know what was wrong, you would go to doctors. You would set up appointments, check the Internet, call your insurance company, read up on all the latest treatments. You would go far and wide seeking a remedy for your physical illness. But when it comes to spiritual illness, we barely look for a diagnosis, let alone the cure. Yet here's God, the great physician, saying, I'll give you one day in seven to attend to your soul to come and worship, to grow, to breathe, and to be nourished. Now again, he's talking about this in the context of the fourth commandment. So he's, we should be doing soul care every day. Kevin DeYoung is not saying that it's only one day. But he's saying this is a day that's set aside intentionally for this. Move stuff off the calendar. Make this the priority. That's what will strengthen you and help you. But when we crowd everything else in, It hurts us. It hurts those around us. Uh, last week to the teen guys, and I'm going to be doing this with all the teens. But I gave them a document that said seven things we want you to know by the time you graduate. So when you graduate and you go off to college here from our church, these are seven things that you need to be rock solid on. And one of them was that being part of a church fellowship is non-negotiable. When you go off to college, let me tell you, for those of you who are starting to think about that, Find a church as fast as possible. When you relocate, find a church as fast as possible. It's non-negotiable in God's economy because this is his means of strengthening and refreshing us. Some of you might be saying in life right now, God, give me a break. And God says, here we are. This is it. I'm giving this to you. One in seven where you can just with a clear conscience, put aside our responsibilities and put everything aside and say, I'm just worshiping God today and resting. Okay, so what is a worship benefit? Strength and refreshment. I need to move on. A sense of victory. Where do you get that? Look at verse 11. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies and my ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. Okay, here he is when he's worshiping God here. He's saying, this is the great things that you've done for me. You have helped me. You have given me uh, success. And when we worship together, there should be a sense of victory. There should be an element of victory today. There should be. We're here together today, and there should be this sense of, okay, success or victory. And why do you say that? Well, you, you may be thinking, well, because, because many forces have really worked against this meeting today. 
The enemy, we have an enemy that doesn't want us gathering together. We have an enemy that doesn't want us worshiping God. And so you, you don't think he's not doing stuff, right? Okay, so, we, so we've, we're here together. We're here together. It's like we've overcome. By God's grace, we've overcome. There should be a sense of victory here. You've overcome your flesh and your nature. Do not raise your hand to this question. I'm going to say it again. Do not raise your hand to this. But how many of you did not feel like coming to church this morning? Do not raise your hand, okay? All right? All right. But how many of you didn't feel like it? I guarantee if I had you raise your hands, okay, there would be a lot of hands up. The reason why is because our flesh often doesn't want to come. Now, some of you, you were like, yeah, I want to be here. And absolutely. And it ebbs and flows, right? Okay? But there are some Sundays where it is difficult to be here. But we're here sense of victory. We overcome the world in some ways. You say, how so? <laughs> Listen, how many activities are scheduled for Sundays right now? Some of you are working against that. Sports, car shows, other activities are going on. That just, on Sunday, it's on Sunday. It used to be that it'd be rare for something to be on Sunday. Now, it's just, I drive by the soccer fields on my way in, and I often will just see them, even early in the morning, 8 in the morning, whatever, just packed full of people on Sunday mornings. Now you say, oh, man, we just need to get back to a society. Well, maybe, maybe. But the point is that, is that we're gathered today. There's a sense of victory that God has made this happen. Never, it just, I just thought often it hits me that never again in all of history will there be a gathering just like this. Right here. This is it. And we get to worship God together. It's good. It's good. A sense of victory. I need to move on. Finally, a benefit that the text talks about here is this idea of fruitfulness. Verse 12 through 15, the righteous flourish. Please note the comparison to um, uh, the grass of verse 7. Uh, really, it's uh, this idea of uh, weeds, if you will. So though the, verse 7 says, though the wicked sprout like weeds, and you all know how that works, right? Fast growth, things like this. He says, um, he says, you know, the righteous, they flourish like a palm tree, grow like a cedar of Lebanon. You see, we flourish to our full potential only through worship of God. Understand this. We flourish to our full potential of God's design only through worship of God. It's how he's designed us. And it's for our good. It's for his glory. You say, well, why did he do it that way? Well, you know, we could go back to verse 5. Your thoughts are very deep and say we don't understand all the nuances of it. But we do know enough. Is that if God created someone that didn't need to worship him, he would be creating another equal God. And so anything he created has to worship him. Otherwise, he's not God. And so when he creates us, to fulfill our full potential is only through worship of him. And so the benefit of that is there's fruitfulness in our lives. The things that we do, we flourish to our full capacity through worship of God. And then the fruit in verse 15, that declares then that the Lord is upright to other people. So we must worship God. And then we need worship's benefits. But finally, as we circle the landing strip, and the landing gear's not down yet, though, just so you know, okay? But we're circling, all right, for the conclusion. 
you need to avoid a major obstacle to worship. I want to bring this back to a section that I kind of skipped over in the text. If you were, if you were paying attention as we're going through, you say, wait a minute, you didn't really talk about this. Well, we're going back to it. Here's the major obstacle. I, I, I was trying, I was struggling with how to say this. And so if you have a better way of saying this, because I know there is a better way of saying this, let me know and I'll adjust it, okay? But here's what I came up with. Not all that glitters is gold. Not all that glitters is gold. You say, what are you talking about? Okay, let's walk through this. Verse 6. The stupid man, man cannot know. Now, ladies, don't read into that. Like, see, men are stupid. Okay, right here. Okay, remember the whole unicorn inter- interpretation thing? You know, don't misread this. Okay, okay. But the stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. What is it? That though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. He's saying this. The stupid person, the senseless person, the foolish person, they can't get this concept that though the wicked are, are prospering, they're doomed. He says they miss that. They're so distracted by what they see of temporal flourishing and immediate success and things that they think that's what we need to go after and they ignore God. See, this is the obstacle to worship, is that when we get distracted by things that seem to be well right now or things to be uh, you know, flourishing in a temporal basis and not uh, considering the eternal uh, ramifications. Some people, they get distracted away from worshiping God by seeing other people flourish. And so they see people that uh, they appear to have success and enjoying life apart from God. And then they conclude that this must be the path to self-fulfillment and joy. And so they do not worship God. The psalmist calls that person stupid. Senseless, foolish. Do not trade temporal success for eternal destruction. God reigns on high, verse 8, forever. This is the central part right here. If you're going to outline this text, this psalm, this would be the central part of, by the way it's structured, that God reigns on high forever. We bow to him and to his plan, not our own concoctions. So we must worship God, my friends. There's benefits that God has said, hey, and this is very practical to say, here's the benefits. But then he gives us this warning. He says, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by the temporal stuff. Don't get distracted. Keep the eternal perspective in mind. Understand that the people who are living this life, and they seem to be doing well, but they are apart from God. They are headed towards destruction. But the righteous, they are going to flourish for eternity, not because of their good works, because of what God has done in them. So we need to avoid this major obstacle to worship. So I started with this statement, right? I said Sabbath is for worship and rest. Now some of you may be thinking, you say, now wait a minute here. Um, You've talked a lot about worship, but you haven't talked about rest yet. And you said you're almost done with the sermon here. So did you just not manage this well or balance this? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad that you're finishing. But, you know, uh, what about the rest? I have been talking about rest. I have been talking about it because you cannot truly rest until you're worshiping God. You won't rest unless you're worshiping God. How do you rest? We worship God 
Where's the reminder in that? The text that Wayne read for us, Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength at his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted you up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. You see, we can rest because God reigns. We can rest because he reigns forever. So whatever is giving you anxiety right now, God reigns over it. We can rest because God is mighty. Verse 4, more mighty than anything that is threatening your rest right now. We can rest because God is trustworthy, verse 5, and holy. You see, I have been talking about rest. The only way to rest is through worship. So you and I must worship God today and every day. 